Well, welcome to New Life Church. Does anybody love Jesus here today? Yeah. Right. Good deal. Got a lively crowd here at the Kearney campus in spite, in spite of all the snow. If you're listening to this in the summer when this was recorded, we had a, a big load of snow. I, I think pa- pastors are kind of frustrated thinking God has this kind of sick sense of humor because it seems like all the snowstorms in Nebraska come on Sat through Saturday night, right? We had our crews up early today, but I will thank you for joining us, especially the many of you who are worshiping with us online at our, any one of our campuses today. Welcome to New Life Church. We're in a series called Mandate, and today I'm going to talk to you about the witness mandate. Everybody say witness mandate. Witness. All right, we have a mandate to witness. And in, in kind of preparing for this message, I was thinking, you know, if I could sum up the cause, the purpose, the mission of the church. I mean, we have a cause statement here at New Life, and that is to see people find Jesus and have, life change, have lives change. And I believe that plays right into the mandate to witness. But if I could boil it down to where does that come from, I might go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Jesus gave us what in the church we recognize as the Great Commission. And he said, because he has been given all authority uh, by the Father, he's now empowering us as the church to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, if I could sum up and boil down the Great Commission, it would be a witness mandate to share the good news of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. So so we're going to ask the question today and try to answer, how do we fulfill the witness mandate? How do we do it? Now, when we think of witnessing, there's all kinds of pieces and behaviors and activities that you could bullet point under what it means to witness. It might be going on a missions trip. It might be sharing your story of faith and how God's done something significant in your life to a coworker or a friend or a family member. Share your personal spiritual journey. It could be giving to kingdom builders and through kingdom builders, blessing all of our partners and projects that are sharing the gospel, that's part of witnessing. But I I want to talk about the witness mandate and what it means for us if you're a part of God's kingdom, God's family, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do we begin to witness to the world? How do we begin to tell the world that we are followers of Jesus and what do we do that is a witness? And so I like to do this when I write uh, sermons, and that's really sum up my sermon in one sentence. How many would like to hear my sermon in one sentence? And then you could check out for the rest of the, the day, right? And it would be this. Here's the sermon in one sentence. That if we will be the church, everybody say, be the church. If we will be the church by loving one another, we will fulfill the witness mandate. If we will be the church by loving one another we will fulfill the witness mandate. So we're all on a spiritual journey, and I recognize there's people that are here listening online that you've been in church for a long time. Some of you, you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. You would call yourself a Christian. There's some of you that that, uh, maybe you've left your relationship with God. You've left the church. Or maybe you're exploring who Jesus is, and so there's people 
on all of those kinds of uh, spectrums in the spiritual continuum. And today is going to kind of feel like a family meeting, right, in the living room. And if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus, you might feel like, you know, a guest to that meeting. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus and be a witness to this world. And I hope by the end of uh, the message today, maybe even somewhere in the middle, that you would find a place in your heart to surrender your life to Jesus. I guarantee you before you leave today, and if you're at one of our campuses, our campus pastor will give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus, the best decision you will ever make. And so we're all on this spiritual journey, and for believers, we're, we're, we're really like, we're traveling this road together. God's called us into a family. He's adopted us into a family called his church, his body, right? We're all on a journey, a spiritual journey together, and it's somewhat like a marathon, Now, I know you hear from Pastor Jeff and me, and you wonder why us two guys are talking about marathons so much. He was talking about it a couple weeks ago. Um, But we read a lot, all right? We read a lot. And I would say it's like a marathon, yet there's one huge difference. There's one huge difference, and that is that we are all in this together. It's a team effort. In a marathon, you know, you're competing. You're competing against yourself or maybe the other runners, but in this type of marathon race, this journey that we're on as the church, it's a team effort. In 2014, the Boston Marathon, there was one runner who collapsed about a quarter mile from the finish line. So imagine that you've just run, you've just run uh, almost 26 miles and you're about to finish and you fall and you're injured and you can't finish. And what happened next was so amazing. I believe it's a picture of what it means to fulfill the witness mandate. Two runners stopped and began to help this runner up. And with their arms over their sh- the shoulders, help them finish the race. Began to help them finish the race. And by doing that showed a selfless type of love, if I can put it that way. A selfless Love and help them cross the finish line. And and I want to challenge us to begin to think of being a part of the church or what it means to be the church is to show that kind of selfless love in light of our goal to be a witness to this world. Because how many know this that God created us to pour out His love on us? Some of you, you just needed to show up today to hear that today, that you were created intentionally on purpose, and the reason is so that God could pour out his love on you. That's why you're created. And his will then for the church, his body, his family, is to activate that same type of love for one another. It's one of the great commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so if God places that kind of love, in fact, talks about love as being the first and second greatest commandment is love. I think it's a good idea for us to commit to a lifelong marathon race, a pursuit of loving one another. And by the way, that is the hallmark, that is the fruit of what it is to follow Jesus. And so here's where we get the whole big idea that being the church by loving one another will help us to fulfill the witness mandate is found in John 13. This is Jesus' words. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you love one another. In other words, your love, and he's talking to his disciples, if you love one another, that will be a witness to the world that your life is under the authority and leadership of Jesus. 
And so everything about your life will be a witness to the world that you're following him and the gospel will come out of just the fact that you're loving one another. But you might say, Pastor Chris, it's not always easy to love people. It's not always easy to love others. And sometimes we just need to stop and gain a greater perspective on what life is really all about. In fact, we might even need to begin to think about it, not in a morbid way, but the fact that this life is very short. And if we would do that, we might not get so caught up in the things that keep us from loving one another. The psalmist said it this way, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. I think that's a good prayer to pray. God, remind me that this life is short. In fact, if we could you know, carry that prayer on a little uh, further, it's God, remind me that this life is not all that there is. In fact, that I was created for eternity. And if we would recognize that, and that people around us are in life and death situations themselves, and we would realize that our bitterness and our selfishness and all the things that keep us from loving one another, those things never really bring fulfillment, holding a grudge or bitterness. We'd move past all of that to restore relationships because we'd recognize what matters most, right? So why can relationships be so difficult? Why are they so hard? Why is it so hard to show selfless love? To other people. Well, for one thing, I want what I want and you want what you want, right? I mean, we at this point in our nation's history, we have just passed another election cycle and we all get to face that, stare that straight in the face. I want what I want and they want what they want, right? And those desires cause conflict, don't they? Yet we're like runners. Once again, we're the church, we're like runners, we have a race to run, uh, and we have a goal, and that goal is to be the church. How can we be the church? By loving one another. So if we're going to be the church, then we must learn to hurdle the relational obstacles. So imagine running a marathon that had hurdles in it, right? That would be a catastrophe, for me at least, right? Maybe just one hurdle, but after that, I don't want 26 point, what is it, 26 point something miles of hurdles? Crazy. But this life, this marathon we're on can seem that way. So I'm going to talk about some of those relational obstacles. The first one is this. It's going to be on your screen, and it's the hurdle of misunderstanding. Have you ever had a misunderstanding? Come on, how many married couples on the way to church today you had a misunderstanding? Come on. Anybody? Nobody. Wow. Man, you guys are done. You can leave misunderstandings you know misunderstandings they they happen right but but then what happens is they pile up and they become insurmountable obstacles right think about in the beginning of a relationship everything seems so great you're running along together hand in hand and life is so good and then wham you run right smack dab into the hurdle of misunderstanding and it throws you both off balance. Let's talk about like dating or marriage relationships. At first you think, you know, they're just like me. They want what I want, right? They are just like me and it doesn't take long. And a misunderstanding comes along the way and you begin to see they are not like me. Have you ever heard that opposites attract and then opposites attack? Have you ever heard that second part? That's what happens. 
Or you have a conflict that comes up with your church family. And at first, you know, in the relationship, maybe it's the beginning stages of you being committed to a church family and it seems like you share common values and a common vision and after a while a conflict, a misunderstanding surfaces and you realize we are not all on the same page or we don't have all the same ideas. But if we are going to love one another, church, as Christ commanded, then we must figure this out, right? Just as a family, they need to figure out how are we going to love one another. We as the church need to do the same thing if we are going to navigate uh, misunderstandings. How many agree with that? Amen? The second hurdle is the hurdle of selfishness. The hurdle of selfishness. Wouldn't you say that that's probably the foundational problem of nearly all conflict? Selfishness. The Bible kind of teaches that in James chapter 4. This is Jesus' brother says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And then watch this. You want something, but you don't get it. Come on. We as adults, those of you who are adults listening uh, at one of our locations, we, we, can re- we need to confess that even as adults, this is not something you naturally mature out of. There is a selfishness, isn't it? At the core of our sinful nature. In fact, it's the MO of our sinful nature. Me first. Selfishness. But let me just tell you, if this is your first or second time at New Life Church, this doesn't happen at New Life Church at all. There is no selfishness here. You have come to the perfect church, relationally, relational harmony at all times. Selfishness can show up in church, can it? And it can show up this way, and it shows up subtly with kind of a predisposed way of thinking when we think about our church family. And it's this thought, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this service? What can I get out of this church? What can I get out of this life group, this ministry team? Uh, what, what can I get out of this? Now, absolutely, we exist to see people find Jesus and have lives changed and experience community and find their purpose. And there are great fringe benefits to belonging to the body of Christ. And there's, there's healing and there's hope, right? There's all these things. But those are byproducts of what it means to follow Jesus. And there is a catch when we come with this, um, with this predisposed kind of mentality is what's in it for me? It's me first. Contrast that with the the mindset that we should have is that we're in this together. There's an interdependence. There's a working together for a common goal of running this race so that others might know Jesus and have their lives changed. So if we're going to be the church, we need to figure all this out. We need to figure out selfishness and how to deal with it. The third hurdle is the hurdle of failure. The hurdle of failure. And so we have... um, We have misunderstanding. None of you have misunderstandings. We've already settled that. Um, Then there's the hurdle of selfishness. No no one's selfish at New Life Church. We've said that. And then the hurdle of failure. We have no failures here. We've never failed. You've never failed. Right? Now, just as misunderstandings and and the desires to put ourselves first happens and causes relational tension, the truth is we have all messed up. Every single one of you have failed. In fact, let's just have a, a point of confession. Turn to your neighbor, everybody online, just look at, look at me on the screen and tell them, I have failed. Come on. You've failed. We've all failed. We've all failed. In many relationships, they're abandoned because somebody has failed us, right? 
Every one of us have been wounded by somebody else, by the words or by their actions, by their behaviors. And if we're not guided by love, we'll never overcome that sense of somebody has failed us. If we don't have the love of Christ that flows freely from us to other people, it's easy to build this barrier of bitterness and entitlement that causes us to protect ourselves from ever getting hurt again. But you'll never cross the finish line and you'll never cross the finish line with the team if you're carrying the weight of bitterness. It's a hurdle. If you can't get over it, it becomes a weight. It becomes baggage that you'll carry with you and you'll never run the race. So these three hurdles, they're in the way of us all fulfilling the, the, the witness mandate to love one another by being the church and through that fulfilling the witness mandate. It can cause us to never give the type of witness that this world needs to see. And so some people will look at these obstacles, obstacles, maybe you're thinking about them today and you're acknowledging them. Maybe there's relationships, you know, outside of the church or within the church. You say, yeah, I get that. There's misunderstanding, selfishness, and failure that have all kind of damned up the ability to love. So how do I actually do it? It seems so impossible to do it. And a lot of people see that and they stall, they freeze. They say, you know what, I can't do it. I'm not spiritual enough or I don't have what it takes. I, don't, I can't let go of this bitterness. And so what do they do? They disengage. They give up. How many love to be around quitters? You know, just at work, in sports, right? You just love it when somebody's just a quitter. Quitter about everything. No, hopefully not. And by faith, I'm going to say that none of us at New Life Church want to give up on being the church and loving one another and fulfilling the witness mandate. Amen? Are you with me on that? We, so we have this mandate, this command from God to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that we need God's help, don't we? We need God to change us from the inside out so that we can actually be the church and love one another and get over these obstacles so that the whole world will see that we are followers of Jesus and there would be a glorification of Jesus in this world because we have loved one another. So let's look at God's ways. Let's look at God's word and say, okay, God, how do we do this? How do we align our lives with your ways and love other people? And I would say the answer, the beginning point, is that it starts with him changing us from the inside out, his work in us. And so here's one of the ways that God helps us to love one another and, and, and really leap over all of these relational obstacles. And the first one is the hand of acceptance. Everybody say the hand of acceptance. The hand of acceptance. We cannot love one another if we are not willing to connect with other people by extending the hand of acceptance. Look what uh, Romans says. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. Accept one another then, and then here's how. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we see a mandate, a command to accept one another. How do we do that? As Christ accepted you, we're going to talk about that. In order, the result will be that we would bring praise to God. But what do, what do we so often do when people are unacceptable? We withdraw, don't we? We build walls. We go to a different life group. We go to a different church. We break off the relationship. 
And it seems for some of us like it's going to take a supernatural act of God for, for me to be able to love somebody who is unlovable or unacceptable. Well, a good starting point is to go back to that Romans 15 verse 7 and recognize how did God accept me? How did God accept you? He accepted you just as you came to him. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus today, Jesus is standing at the door knocking on your heart ready to accept you just as you are with your pain, your sin, your guilt, your hurt, your disappointment, all of the junk. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that while you were sinning, Christ died for you. He looked at you ready to accept you in your sin. And so let's begin, to, let's begin to think of it in terms of how did Jesus accept me? He accepted me just as I came to him. That's a great starting point. Start with him. Start by remembering the way that he accepted you. And then pray, God, help me to see people just as you see them. And how does God see them? He sees them as fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139 says. He sees them as created in his image, as the creation story tells us. Right? And that they are like a sheep without a shepherd if they don't know Jesus. Ask God, God, help me to see them as you see them so that I can accept them and then try to look for ways to understand them. Okay? The second one, so the first one, what did I say, was the hand of acceptance. The second one is the traction of loving actions. We gain, we gain traction through loving actions. Now, for most runners, shoes are very important. How many of you like to go running barefoot, right? Most of us Americans don't like to do that. So for most runners or hikers or people like that, that they're on a trail, they have to navigate something physically, shoes are important. You can have all the other equipment that you need. You can have all your Gatorade, all, all that kind of stuff. But if you're not sure-footed, you'll never finish the race and you won't definitely won't want, run the race well. Try to say that fast. Come on. But when you express love through action, your feet have traction and you can take ground. Now, let me remind you of the metaphor. This is a marathon and it's a team sport. We're all in this together. What is the race that we're called to run? That is to know Jesus and to make him known, right? The witness mandate, have a relationship with him and that the world might know. How do we do that? By being the church through loving one another and fulfilling the witness mandate. That's what it means to move and take ground, okay? And so we do that, we get traction on that goal by showing loving actions towards other people. And so I'm going to give you three areas, three kind of loving actions that give us this relational traction. This is going to be like putting on your running shoes, all right? The first one is consideration. Everybody say consideration. Come on, consideration. The Bible says this about consideration. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in what? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. I'm going to consider you by humbling myself. I'm going to consider you as significant. As somebody who is significant, consideration. So pause and think about what you have planned today. How many have planned to get out the snowblower, right? And the show, no one has plans to do that. Wow. All right. So think about this. If, if you have that plan today, what could you do that would consider others? As you are snowblowing your, you know, your, your driveway and then your walkway, just come on over to my house, all right? 
come on over. I'll give you my address. Just ride that snowblower over, right? Just joking. But what is it that you have planned this week? Is there something that you could do to put love into action? Write it down and make a plan to demonstrate that kind of loving action. And when you do that, you gain traction. And I believe that Christ demonstrated this exact kind of love right before he, right before he went to the cross. He got on his knees and with his disciples, this was a cultural thing that was going on that it's hard for us to connect, but, connect to, but he got on his knees and he got a pan and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. That was cultural. That happened at, uh, in his culture that he lived in. But what he was doing is taking on the form of a servant and serving them. What did he do? He humbled them and he considered them. And God wants us to figure out how to do that same type of thing. In fact, let me restate it because he doesn't want us just to figure it out. He wants to change us so that our heart is really changed, that we see people how, as he sees them and naturally the outflow is consideration. But we've got to put it into action. James says that faith without works is dead. Faith that doesn't produce an outflow of behavior is actually an oxymoron. It's not real authentic faith. And so let's look for ways God changed my heart and then put it into action. The second one after consideration is cooperation. Everybody say cooperation. cooperation. Come on. Did you, how many felt like, how many that are over 40 feel like Sesame Street right now? Cooperation, right? There's a song we need to sing about it. Ephesians 4. You guys ready to sing the song? No? Okay. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Do you see cooperation in here? That God created you with gifts and abilities. And as we come together and cooperate, man, it, it, creates, it creates a great team. And great teams have a couple things. One of the things they have is chemistry. Great teams have chemistry where the team works together for the common good. And one player just knows what the other player is going to do, right? That's chemistry, man. We could just work together, and that happens over time as you cooperate and work together with one another. So being the church means that we're all in this together, and I'm going to do my part, and there's going to be this great chemistry. We also have great teams have synergy. Anybody know what synergy is? I'm going to tell you. Here's a great definition. It's the interaction of two or more agents or forces so that their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual efforts. You can rewind the sermon later to get that definition, right? But that what that means is that one plus one does not equal two. That one plus one can equal ten. Because when we come together and work together as a team, the effect is greater. And finally, we have cooperation. We have commitment. You know, we live in a society and a culture today that is devalued commitment. Our culture says if you become unhappy, just leave and go somewhere else. Get out of the relationship, right? Because after all, it's all about you. And that philosophy, let me just tell you, if you don't know, it's diabolically opposed to the nature of the church that Jesus is building. So be the church says, I'm committed to you no matter what. No matter what happens, for better or for worse, it's like a wedding vow when we become a part of the body of Christ. Even when we disagree, I'm committed. And that type of love is not only a healing balm relationally with one another, but it is a powerful witness to the world. We can fulfill the witness mandate if we will learn this 
this value of commitment. John 13, 35, let me read this for you out of the Amplified, which expounds on the meaning of the original in this instance, Greek. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you want lo- excuse me, if you love one another. And then it really explains this word love. It says, if you keep on showing love among yourselves. I love that. If you continue, you keep on. Why? Because this word love is in this a perfect continual tense in the original language, right? And so it's a commitment. It's an ongoing commitment that we make. And so that was sub-point three under point number two. The third point, let's go to the third point, is this, that we extend the arm of forgiveness. Everybody say the arm of forgiveness. All right. Forgiveness. Sometimes you just need to feel an arm around your shoulder, right? What does it do to you when you feel an arm around your shoulder? It it, it signifies that you're not alone, that you're in this together. And especially we need this when we need forgiveness. And somebody comes up and they forgive us. It's it's like they're putting their arm around them saying, I forgive you. I'm letting go. And we're going to move on together. That's one way that we can fulfill the witness mandate is that when we actually forgive those who need to be forgiven. And we put our arm around them. We tell them we're in it with them. That we love them. We truly forgive them. And we are going to move on together. That's what I think loving one another through forgiveness looks like. It looks like an arm around the shoulder. If you've fallen, if you've blown it, if you've failed, that arm will lift you up, won't it? We need to do that as the church. We need to learn. We need to go back to learn what it means to forgive one another. That arm around you says, I love you. And what does Jesus say? The whole world will know that you have been changed, that you are following me, that I'm your Lord, that the gospel has changed you as you love one another. So let's learn to do that. I believe there's no greater example than Jesus himself. When he was on the cross, some of his last words that he prayed, he said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they... For they do not know what they're doing. I mean, imagine this. He's on the cross. Physically, he's been beaten and crucified. And his words are, forgive them. In other words, he's saying, I forgive them, Father. Would you forgive them? Have you ever been forgiven by somebody you desperately needed forgiveness and you've blown it? And they offered forgiveness to you? Isn't it healing? Colossians challenges us that we should do this. It says, get along with each other. And forgive each other. If someone has done wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. In fact, I would say that the second sentence or the second part of the first sentence and the second sentence are how that we get along with each other. So get along with each other. How do you do that? Forgive each other. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Christ showed us that the power of of love, man, can cover a multitude of sins, didn't he? When he went to the cross and he hung there, he was saying, I forgive you, and he was being an example to us. Forgive others just as I have forgiven you. And let the cross, let it be a symbol. Every time you look at it, if you're at one of our campuses right now, we have crosses in the auditoriums. You might look at that cross right now or close your eyes and visualize the cross and let it stand for God's mercy and God's grace and not out of guilt, but out of motivated by love. Say, God, help me to have that kind of love that will forgive others as you forgave me. 
So all this, I hope you think it sounds really good and idealistic. Um, hope, not idealistic, but sounds like a good ideal to live by, right? That we need to love one another. And that if we would just be the church and love one another, there would be a witness mandate that's fulfilled at New Life Church in the, in the church capital see all over the earth that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth. And it begins by us loving one another. So that sounds great to you, I hope, but how do you do it? It starts by, I think, realizing, confessing that you can't do this yourself. It's not just a bunch of uh, behaviors that you need to modify. You need Jesus to come in and change you from the inside out. If you are not living for him today, let me just invite you to surrender your life to Jesus before the moment continues to give your life to him. If you're a follower of Jesus and maybe you've allowed the old ways to creep back into your life and get a hold of you, would you come and confess and do the spiritual discipline of repentance? You know what repentance is? It's not confession. Confession can be a part of it, a precursor to repentance. Repentance is stop doing it. It's a change of mind and direction. So there might be confession, but repentance is when I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to stop doing my, I'm living my ways, and I'm going to begin to live God's ways. And come to the Lord and let God, if you're a follower of Jesus, change you, soften your heart, and enable you to do what you don't feel like that you can do. So let me ask you a question. Are you facing relational hurdles that is really, you know, it's really stalling out your ability to be a witness and fulfill the witness mandate? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to request forgiveness and reconciliation from? What are some acts of kindness that you can do this week to put loving actions and gain traction relationally? I'll send you my address. I'm telling you, today you'll get it. Challenge yourself. Step up. Step up and step out in tangible ways and show the love of Christ. That is what it means, I believe, to be the church. We have a value statement around here that we are better together. In fact, let's all just say that. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are better together. Come on, if you're listening online, I'm just going to tell you, we are better together. And I know that maybe today you can't be together with us looking forward to when you can because we are better together and we are better when we love one another. And when we love one another, we are a witness to the whole world. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? Jesus, thank you that you loved us first. That this call, this mandate to be a witness that begins by loving your family is not just something that you demand us to do, but you empower us to do by changing our very inner being. Your word says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Old ways are now gone, new ways have come. And it's a daily choice, though, that we make to walk in your ways. So, God, we, we want to turn to you as the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith and say, change us. This world is in desperate need to know you. This world, the people that are lost and dying, that are standing on the edge of eternity without you, and they desperately need to see a church that loves one another and loves you. So change us today. Help us today in, in this time of response to allow you to come in. Heal us, restore us, help us to begin to live how you've called us to live. And in that, 
May the whole world, may the glory of the Lord cover the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.